All right. Hey, folks. Um, so we're back for another podcast. And um, I promised I would talk about training soon. So that's what today's podcast is going to be about. Um, although I do have some quite exciting things to say about my current diet, which um, I will leave off for this podcast and we'll talk about it next time. Anyway, um, so I want to talk about training and I want to talk about um, some, I guess, some things that hold people back when it comes to training and just pad that out a little bit and explore where that comes from. So I made a video this week on my YouTube called <laughs> Big Brain Knowledge, Zero Gains. And uh, the long and short of it was this, that we all know frequently changing your routine is bad, but many of us do it anyway, right? And I came across some research which kind of supported the idea of why. Now, I don't, I'd have, I've kind of gotten away from the research. I'm not really, I used to be a heavy research guy. Um, I'm not anymore. And that's probably a topic I could explore a bit about as well. But when I got onto YouTube, I realized that to help people, the YouTube, the, the research just wasn't that relevant. Um, it's the same with my coaching. I, I don't, I'm not a research heavy coacher. So I think when I, when I got onto YouTube, I almost felt a bit of a, um, what do they call it? You know, like, um, when you don't consider what imposter, I had a bit of imposter syndrome basically when I got onto YouTube because um, I wasn't speaking to my clients, I was speaking to just regular Joe and Jill, right? And so I think I relied on the research quite a lot. And there was all there was that sort of comfort there to saying, Well, you look, I'm on YouTube, I'm just a, I'm a guy, um, I do have clients, however, on YouTube, I have like 20, 20 subscribers who watch my stuff, you know, they're like, This was like six, seven months ago. And here's why you should believe me because I have research to back me up. So I think initially I probably um, rallied on the research quite a lot for that reason, because I didn't have the self-confidence on that platform to say this works because of my qualifications, you know, my experience, my results with clients, all that kind of stuff. Whereas now I'm much more likely to say, yeah, this is just what I feel works. And I think people find that more useful. I don't think people want somebody who can just read out research to them. In my experience, I could be wrong. Let me know. But I think people want to hear, look, this is what I did. This is what works. This is what I've tried with clients. This definitely doesn't work. Don't do this. Stuff like that. I think that's much more relatable. So I don't really look at the research that much anymore. But the reason that I like this piece of research was precisely because it explains why research doesn't help. <laughs> so it's almost like a sabotage piece of research, which is hilarious, but, but great at the same time. So this, this two pieces of research were, uh, were kind of painting a picture of why people don't gain. And um, I've got them linked here. So I'll just briefly talk you through them. I don't want to just, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but there were two pieces of research by uh, a research team, which I really like. Um, these guys from um, Southampton. Um, down on the South UK coach, uh, coast. A couple of doctors called uh, Dr. James Steele and Dr. James Fisher. And then another guy who's part of their team, uh, and Dr. Andrelakis Korakakis, um, who is on um, Instagram as Dr. Pack. Seems like a nice guy. And this research was called, Are We Lifting Heavy Enough? Self-Selected Loads in Resistance Exercise. So basically the idea was, they did a meta-analysis of a bunch of different studies and they looked at how people select their loads. So whether people select loads 
in, in like um, they select roads accurately. So they had everyone do a one rep max test. Okay, everyone did a one rep max test, and then what they did was they either um, got people to self-select loads or they gave people the loads based on like percentage of their program okay of their one rep max now they found that the people who selected the loads themselves they tended to undershoot the loads quite heavily so they were mostly using about half the weight which they should have used okay now if you think about it what do most of us do most of us will self-select loads so if we are the average population which we are basically that's what studies look at they look at the average person and so for most of us we typically would probably select a load which is too light, like 50%. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Faz, what does that matter? Because we'll just progress. Well, that's I'm getting to that. <laughs> so the next study was kind of something to back that up. And it was an older study by the same team done in 2017. And it was basically talking about why people undershoot again their reps in reserve. So typically, this study said most people they underwork by about three reps per set. So basically, if you think you're going to failure, you've probably got three reps left. If you think you've got two RIR, you probably got three left, right? Stuff like that. And they said that this is worse the higher in reps you're training. So when you get up to that sort of eight to 12 to 15 rep range, it's it's a stronger effect. If you're using fives to eights or fives to sixes, you, it's, it's better. And also the more experienced people tend to be better at estimating this. So. Just to summarize where we are, to, so we're all following along to what I'm saying. What we're saying is the average person yeah, will generally tend to undershoot how much weight they select at the beginning of a program, and they will also undershoot how hard they're working. So they'll leave reps in the tank, usually on average about three, so between two to four reps. That's what we're saying right now. okay? And this is what they found in research, in the meta-analysis, blah, blah, blah good research, which is probably representative of the average guy or girl in the gym, of the average guy or girl who listens to my podcast, of me, I'm included in this as well. I'm, I'm not you know, immune to these things happening. So now, my contribution to all this is, one of the reasons why this is so damaging is that people switch routines quite a lot. Now you might be, because you might be sat there thinking, well, Faz, what's the problem with undershooting the beginning of a training routine? Well. The problem is it would be fine if you carried on with that routine and you carried on, you know, adding weight to the bar every week. And so what happens is over the course of say two or three weeks, you get to the point where you're working really hard, right? The problem is it's at that point where most people change your routines. So they'll do a routine for three or four weeks. They'll work up to the point where they're finally actually working hard and then they'll change your routine. So if you if you think about it, they're never actually getting to the point where they're working hard. That I think is a major stumbling point. And that's kind of the point that I was making with this YouTube video that I did. I believe strongly that that is the main reason why people just don't gain. Because if you look at what happens sort of in the beginner phase, beginner phase to intermediate phase, it's quite, it's quite easy, you know? Like you don't need much to go from beginner to intermediate phase. I'm actually releasing a beginner routine soon. The reason that I think it's a good beginner routine is more for why it sets you up for better gains down the road. So it sets you up in a way to teach you how to do the lifts correctly, the, all the movement patterns, all that kind of stuff, right? So anyway, so I think the main problem is like people are used to quite quick gains because you, to go from a beginner to an intermediate, it's relatively quick. Like any, 
anyone can just stumble their way into intermediate stage, right? Anyone can. Now, to go from intermediate to advanced, there you get the chosen few, basically, right? And those are the guys and girls who have one, more patience, and two, work harder in general. And part of that, I think, is facilitated by sticking to the same routine for a while. That's the big thing. That's what I'm trying to say. And this can be even minor changes. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, if you go from bench pressing, say, for five reps to bench pressing for eight, there's still an adjustment period. You know, I mean, as well, assuming it's not part of a structured routine, like my eight, five, and threes goes down from eights to fives. That's different. But if you're going from up from fives to eights, you have to readjust. You have to. And in that readjustment, you might undershoot the weight you use. And then also there's the idea of getting used to the repetition scheme, because obviously if you go from five to eight, then your body needs to quickly upregulate the amount of glycogen it holds. So that takes time. You, you won't do that the first week. So your reps the first week will be horrendously painful because you'll just be struggling to keep up with that length of set. So that in itself is going to cause you to, to not approach true failure. So, you know, there's that, you know, we, we can't argue with that. So there's an adjustment period. Now, my point is that when people see through this adjustment period, then it gets really hard. And on top of that, because they're an intermediate and they've already made the beginner gains, they just give up at that point. That's when it gets really, really difficult because like, oh yeah, at this stage, like, whoa, I'm not used to this. I'm not used to digging in this much. And I'm also not used to the pace of progress being so slow. Like you might gain two and a half kilos a month on a lift. But the thing is, if you're not even sticking to a routine for a month, you're maybe sticking to it for three or four weeks, you're screwed. Because as soon as you get to that point, your progress is slow, gains is slow, and you're off the routine. You've, you've done, you've, you're already done. And so I made the point in a recent Q&A on my YouTube that I think this is why rep systems are so useful. There's nothing inherently special about the rep system in and of itself. What is important about a rep system is it keeps you on track. It actually keeps you on something. So like I have my eight, fives, and threes. There are lots of other rep systems out there. There are some guys who put out long 16-week training programs. Now, why are they important? Well, they're important not because of the length of it or anything like or the specific range of exercises. They all contribute, sure. But they're, they're, they work because they keep somebody consistent on a path. And usually with those long programs, they usually rely on percentages as well, which are very good because they sat, because you, again, you satisfy that criteria. You tell people, okay, this is what you're going to use. This is the load you're going to use. This is how you're going to progress. And you need to stay on this for long enough to actually see the gains. And it's the same with my eights, fives, and threes. You start off and you do self-select, but you're on a roller coaster of volume and intensity for so long that you can't help but make gains. That's the important thing. That's what's missing. I strongly believe that that's what a lot of people miss because I think they go on to YouTube, they go on to even PubMed, some of the more distinguished ones, and they look for a constant change. So now I guess we can kind of steer. Firstly, let me just like wrap up with that. Like, what do you guys think of that? Do you think I'm on to something there with the whole? chronic routine changing stuff. I, I do. And I'd like to hear your feedback on that. Now, next question is, why do we do that? I think this is an important question because I think it, it looks at human psyche. 
And I, I, it's not quite as doom and gloom as people might think I'm going to say. Like, I'm not going to say, yeah, we, people are weak and crap, and because it's not about that. Inherently, these people who do this, they're looking for a solution, right? They're, they're trying to be positive and fix things. So I don't think it's like a generational thing either. I don't, you know, people say, there have been people who are online who have said, you know, this is a generational thing. Like, when I was younger, you know, people didn't do this. They stuck to things for long enough and blah, 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 all that kind of crap. That's nonsense. Like, I'm 40. When, when I first started training in, in 99, 98, 2000, people were doing this. And we had hardly any information on the internet at all. You know, there was nothing there. Like, we had like one or two websites. Um, that's it. Maybe a few routines, but that's it. If you're a powerlifter, you pretty much did Westside or you did um, or you did 3 by 3 or you did Smolov or you did Shaco. That's it. There wasn't much else out there. Or you were like a power builder and you did a traditional, you know, upper-lower split. That's it. There wasn't much else out there. If you were a bodybuilder, you did typical splits. There was some lower-volume stuff out there, you know, some sensible stuff out there, but it was usually tied into powerlifting. We didn't have a great deal of info out there. Now, people were still changing routines. They were still tinkering every few weeks. They were still making the same mistakes. So it's not a generational thing. It's definitely not. So for you younger guys and girls in the audience checking out my podcast, it's not a generational thing. So if any old guy out there says it is, they're wrong because we did it back then as well, right? We did it back then as well with hardly any information. People do it in the gym. People will look at what you're doing in the gym and change your routine. I see it regularly. Like, nowadays, I find it's on a bit of a tangent. Like, when I was younger, I used to ask all the big guys like what to do in the gym, how to get bigger, how to get stronger. Nowadays, people don't ask you. People just copy what you do. <laughs> it's quite sweet when I see it. I was in the gym yesterday, and there was these two young lads. They started off benching when I benched, and then they moved around the room, basically copying everything I did, which was hilarious. Um, but never saying a word to me, like looking at me, but never really saying a word to me. And I found it really sweet. Um, it was it was quite nice. Um, and so everything that I did, they just sort of followed suit. So if I was doing chins, they were doing chins, and they just they basically copied my entire routine, which I found hilarious. I should have said hello to them actually. But anyway, so yeah, getting back to what I was saying. Um, yeah, God, what was I saying? Training lost my train of thought <laughs> this is what happens when you get old but yeah i was saying it's not a generational thing okay like we we used to we used to tinker a lot as well so anyway i think i think the tinkering is it's misguided enthusiasm it's a misguided need to fix things that's what i think it is i think it's human nature maybe only like male human nature but it's human nature to want to fix something if if the impression is that it's broken. Oftentimes, things like this don't need fixing. They just need time. So like, for example, um, I'll give you an example from like, you know, maybe careers. Let's say you feel your career isn't moving fast enough and you see other people overtaking you, blah, blah, this, that, but you're stuck in your role. And for a lot of people, this is fine. They just stay there and, you know, they eventually build up a good enough trust and um, skill of their own job that they get promoted. Some people don't think this is um, a good situation. So they go out, they do the, you know, aggressive hunter-gatherer thing and they go out, they go get more qualifications, they hand in CVs to different work uh, places, they try and get a promotion that way. 
Now, that's fine, but you throw yourself into a situation there where it might work out, it might not, right? Because you previously were in a job where you're happy with, okay? You're doing well. You know the people around you, which is important. You know, it's, you don't always have to like your your coworkers, but you at least you're familiar with them. You know the layout, okay? You know what to do, what to avoid. You know the conventions, right? So you know what you're doing. Now, at a the idea is, of course, it's still, you know, the idea is you, you go out and you explore and you, know, you want to get a promotion. You do things that way. With the thought process being that if you stayed in the position you are, it's a crapshoot whether you get promoted or not, right? But the, and, you know, you don't want to be one of those guys where everyone says, oh, he's stagnant. He's been in that job for ages. You know, nothing's going to happen. But then, so you go in with the impression that, okay, I'm going to go for a promotion. And that's what's going to fix this situation that I'm feeling. I'm feeling I'm not making progress fast enough. Therefore, I'm going to fix it. However, that comes with the same crapshoot as previously. Because previously, it was like, is this going to work out? Is this not? However, you previously had the security. Then you go into this new situation where you are basically a sheep amongst the wolves once again. Because you are new to all this. You are once again the new guy. You are once again perhaps in a job where, again, it might work out, it might not. You don't know. The assumption was it was going to work out. That's why you made the move. It's the, it's the classic grass is greener on the other side thing, isn't it? You know, it's, it isn't always. And it's the same with this. It isn't always greener. And so it's the same with training. I think we have the attitude that we want to, quote, unquote, fix things, even though what we're currently doing is fundamentally sound because there is that whole grass is greener on the other side. And the same analogy with the, um, the job situation, but it's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot. And also, there is that intermediate period when you change where there's an adjustment period. And that's the big thing. And in a job situation, that might take a year. It might take two years. With a training situation, everything happens much more quickly. So the assumption is you will be able to change and you will be able to gain. But then, as I've explained, because these changes happen so quickly, a change here or something else there, it doesn't. It, it often doesn't work out because what's what we haven't really discussed and where where the training thing is different to the job thing is the actual act of changing is damaging. And that's what we don't get with the job necessarily because assuming you, you get into a new job, you're probably going to stick to it for a year or two before you move on to something else. Um, so the actual change, while it is damaging, it, it might be devastating, it's not that damaging because over the long haul, you'll just begin to work up again. Okay, You'll relearn all the conventions you may even do this at a higher place you know but you'll have to but it'll be the additional stress of relearning all the conventions potentially moving away you know new uh, learning a new style of work learning a new job altogether who knows but but in a training uh, sort of system in that coming back to the original topic it's the change which is so damaging it's a change which is devastating and it is it 100 percent is going from something which was previously working but working slowly or even not working and just required some more patience to go to something which you feel is going to work never mind whether it's going to work or not but just the change is devastating because you cannot continue that progress when you're readjusting your routine you cannot go from benching maximum fives to benching maximum eights and tens at the, you can't do it. You can't go from that because you don't know what poundage you're going to use. In fact, your body's not even accustomed to doing tens. So it needs a period of adjustment. You're not going to do that by me. So the immediate switch is devastating. That's kind of what the point is of what I'm saying here. Like that's why people fail because they'll make that change. 
in the hopes that the little tinker they've done is positive because that's human nature. We want to fix things, yeah? But it's the change which is so devastating. And then when they see that they're not making any gains, what tends to happen is they'll switch again. And this is probably the final point that I want to make on this is at a certain point, just like that employee who, just like that employee who um, keeps changing, you know, jobs and stuff and keeps heading, being in that readjustment period, they might never get back in the flow of things. And I think that's quite worrying. You might never get back in the flow of things. So when you're training and you, you're constantly in this adjustment period, you're never at the point where you're working truly hard. Now, what does that do for your psyche? Well, what that does for your psyche, let's say you're constantly working at an 8 out of 10. But for you, that's normality. That is 10 out of 10. That is you going balls to the wall. Well, 10 out of 10 for you is a foreign concept. And the moment you even, so you might just hang out at about 6 to ten out, six out of 10, 8 out of 10, because you're constantly changing routines every three or four weeks. 10 out of 10 would be such a rude awakening, such a foreign concept that it would be completely devastating. So that again in itself pushes you away from that because you you train at that level of intensity and it's completely, completely foreign to you because you can't do it. And we all know that training hard is a skill. It's not just something you can do on day one. Like beginners can't just go into the gym and train as hard as Mr. Olympia. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. They might feel they're training hard. They might throw up. They might do, but they're not actually imposing such a demand on the muscles like a seasoned Mr. Olympia competitor or a seasoned advanced lifter would. So what happens is then you're currently stuck in that zone of 6 to 10 out of 8 to 10, and it's never enough. And you're constantly looking for the next best training program, the next best split, the next tinker. But that's not what it is at all. It never was. It ne and you get all these guys on YouTube, like me, I admit, I do it as well. It's telling, shouting at you, telling you you're not training hard enough. You're like, but I am. Because 6 to 8 out of 10 for you, in your mind, is 10 out of 10. But that's only because you've never allowed, your first, you've never stuck to the routine for long enough to facilitate a greater and greater level of effort. And for you, 8 out of 10, that is your, that is your matrix. Like, that's your matrix. Your world, your virtual world is, your 6 out of 10 to 8 out of 10 is your I'm working full pelt, but you're not. And that's how that situation comes about. And that's how the situation becomes then basically endemic to your entire life. Like if you're doing that for a year, two years, three years, you'll do that for 10 years and you'll do that for 20 years. So this is one of the reasons why for guys and girls who have never really experienced that and have never made it after say five or 10 years, it's highly likely they probably won't because it's they're just accustomed to not working hard enough and that's how it happens wow well I, I really would like to hear what you guys think about that because i i think it's a definite thing i mean you can um yeah leave me a review on like itunes or or soundcloud or whatever drop me a message on instagram drop actually drop me a message on my youtube um instagram messages are the private messages are fine, but if you want to do me a favor, drop it on YouTube because the comments bring engagement. So I don't mind answering questions, but if I'm going to answer a question for me, at least put it into YouTube so it increases engagement in the channel. It does stuff to the YouTube algorithm. 
messaging me DMs is is not as helpful. So yeah, message me, let me know what you think uh, about that. And the last thing I want to say is the way that you can break the cycle is hiring a coach. This is why I believe coaching is so important. Everything that I've laid out is all an internal process. Now, when you externalize that process, it breaks the cycle. Now, there's still going to be difficulties. Don't get me wrong. There's still going to be difficulties. I, the most difficult clients are the ones who have hit like 40, 50, 60 and are not open to change or who get offended when you say, you know, the calories are wrong, the training is wrong, you're not training hard and blah, blah, blah. Those are the most difficult ones because they have it all wrapped up in their own psyche. I'm doing as best, good as I can. And they are. It's just their 10 out of 10 is actually a 6 to 8 out of 10. But breaking out of that cycle is far more possible if you have a coach because they can. you are then externalizing all this rather than internalizing and relying on your internal engines. Relying on just yourself is is far more problematic. We all need someone to bounce ideas off. We all need someone to look at us and go, okay, that set could have been harder. That set wasn't. I don't agree with the RIR on that set. Or look at our diets and look at you know the corners we're turning on that. I think this is why it's useful to have a coach because if nothing else, the coach can show you how hard you are capable of working. And so that's what I offer. And that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons I offer it. I think it's probably the reason which is more valuable then people give it credit for. So I think people give a coach credit for like programming because they assume they're training hard enough. They just think, oh, my programming's wrong. A lot of times it's not, it's, that, it's those intangible factors. It's putting out, to put it uh, put it simply. So yeah, um, I do offer coaching. Put it, go on to fastlifts.com. It's a coaching package there. There's discounts there for long-term sort of six-month coaching as well. Um, but I think it's very much worth the money. It's, it's uh, around about, for about a PT session a week, you get monthly coaching. So it's not like it's even expensive. It's, you get a lot more than you would for a one PT session a week. You get all of your training, all of your diet, the psychology of everything, all all wrapped up into one. You get all that, which is far more valuable than some idiot PT just shouting at you for an hour with no indication of overall routine, overall diet, lifestyle factors, anything like that at all. Uh, that is, that's just That's just hiring a cheerleader. People need accountability, not just a cheerleader for one hour a week. So um, I firmly believe in in my practice. And that's that's what I do. What I do. So um, all right, folks, I'm going to call it there. I'll pop this up and let me know how you feel about it. And uh, yeah, go subscribe onto my YouTube channel as well if you've not done so already. I'm trying to shift more people from my podcast to my YouTube, and then also from my YouTube to my podcast. So um, yeah, that's Fazlifts on YouTube, obviously. So yeah, great. I'll speak to you guys next time. Probably we'll talk about diet next time because I've been doing some cool stuff, which I'm quite excited about. All right, folks, take care.